the digital navigator is there to have a good understanding of the resources available in their area, as well as the understanding of how to get their community member to the resources that they need. Welcome to episode 442 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Ryan Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher welcomes Paolo Balboa, Program Manager at the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, and Shauna Edson, Digital Inclusion Coordinator at the Salt Lake City Public Library. The group dives right into what digital equity means, both in policy and practice, and how we can be more thoughtful about both. Paolo shares the history behind the idea of the NDIA's Digital Navigator Program and how it came to fruition, helpfully, right at the start of the pandemic. Shauna talks about the challenges digital navigators confront head-on in communities, from helping residents overcome lack of familiarity with new devices, to learning to navigate the web, to connecting with local resources. Both Shauna and Paolo stress that successful forward progress will come from the presence of ongoing programs staffed by fellow community members, and Shauna shares the progress made so far in Salt Lake City. If you listen closely enough during the episode, you can hear Christopher once again tout his imperviousness to online scammers of all types. The rest of us on the team here at Muni Networks wait patiently for the day when he gets his well-deserved comeuppance. Now here's Christopher talking with Paolo and Shauna. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm excited. Uh, This is a a show that I've been wanting to do for six months since I first learned about the concept of digital navigators. And we're finally in a good place to talk about it with the right people. So let me introduce you first to Paolo Balboa, the Program Manager at National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, we've had Angela Seifer on normal, um, multiple times, and uh, I think she's a, a fan favorite. So um, you have super high pressure on your shoulders. <laughs> uh, we also have Shauna Edson, the Digital Inclusion Coordinator at Salt Lake City Public Library. Welcome to the show, Shauna. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yes, and I'm I'm also excited because I have to say that I, I keep looking to Utah for uh, the future of broadband. Utah is a very advanced state technically, and uh, so I'm really glad that we were able to pull you in. We have fun things going on here. Uh, Shauna, I think you had the, the idea, so let me ask you the question first. Um, let's just give people a sense of what is digital equity? For me, digital equity is um, everyone having easy access to use technology to communicate, learn, work, and play. Um, So all individuals in community have the information technology capacity needed for full participation in our society, civic engagement, economy, and access to essential services. So right now that can look like remote learning, um, working remotely, uh, talking to our friends and family over sharing meals over Zoom, um, all the things that we need to do to stay um, safe at home. I really like that you included play there because I I feel like sometimes when we're talking about these very serious issues, it can feel like we shouldn't talk about something that is innately human and our desire to play. Uh, and I think it's important not to forget that as part of as part of digital equity. Um, and so, Paolo, let me ask you: Is there anything else that strikes you that we should mention as we're setting the the ground that we're, the foundation will build on for the rest of the show? Yeah, I, I think Shana just absolutely nailed it on the head there. Um, I think one of the words that she mentioned that stands out to me is like the participation in society and democracy. Um, and, you know, the example that I, I trot out 
this year is that this year, this was a big year for civic engagement that had to happen online. So whether it was filling out your census um, online or registering to vote or re-registering to vote, those were all activities that required some element of digital equity. It needed that, that connection to uh, reliable broadband, you needed a device to get on, and you needed to have that digital literacy know-how in order to be able to navigate um, those, those sometimes confusing government websites. Now, if we go back about 10 years ago, I feel like that was kind of the beginning of a robust effort. The uh, the BTOP program from NTIA, part of the stimulus that put a lot of money into digital inclusion efforts. Um, now we fast forward and I feel like the idea of the digital navigator is somewhat new. And so maybe, Paolo, I can just ask you to start by giving us a sense of, of, of what led to the creation of this digital navigator idea. I think that the idea of a digital navigator has been around since before six months ago, right? But the like digital navigator, we we assigned a name to it and we started to breathe life into this idea because of COVID. I mean, so many like in, in March when COVID hit and everyone had to stay at home, so many organizations that were already serving their community members, they had to figure out, okay, how do we continue to fulfill the mission of our organization when we have to do everything remotely? So this idea of a digital navigator came up because what the community learned is that all of this has to happen via remote interaction, maybe something like a Zoom call or maybe something like a simple telephone call. With the example of a Zoom call, that takes an element of digital literacy know-how um, on the part of the community member to understand, to, to know and understand how to get to Zoom, how, to, how it works, and how to adequately use it to, to be able to to check in with their community organizations. For a digital navigator, they had to figure out, okay, what are, what are some best practices for communicating with our, with our community members over Zoom or over the phone? A lot of these skills, I think, well, I, my background is in libraries. So the first thing that I think of when I describe a digital navigator is, this is a librarian, right? I, I think about the you know, pre-COVID, before March, um, this, the idea of a reference librarian, which was you know, someone who sits behind the desk at the public library, they're there to um, intake uh, patron questions and guide them towards resources that they need. Frequently in those conversations, right, a patron comes through the library doors because they may not have the vocabulary to describe what they need. So that organic conversation between a librarian behind the reference desk and a community member or a patron is the work of a digital navigator, except now it's happening over Zoom meetings or over the phone. But regardless, the outcome is the same. The digital navigator is there to have a good understanding of the resources available in their area, as well as the understanding of how to get their community member to the resources that they need. It actually, it seems like a, a joke that is common among economists in terms of the the uh, the nature of a um the, the, the chicken or the egg nature of this, which is uh, I'm going to teach you how to use Zoom. Okay, let's get on Zoom so I can teach you how to how to use Zoom. <laughs> like, um, Shada, I wanted to ask about the when you first encountered the this concept, I'm, I'm guessing it was one of those things where you'd already been doing a lot of this work and thought of it. And I'm curious if the term digital navigator helped to pull it together differently or just what was it like when you first encountered the, the term and the idea of that approach? Um, the idea with with digital navigator, I think, um, was something. It actually came to be between a conversation with um, myself and Angela and, and Bill Callahan over at NDIA, 
um, we were brainstorming together different ideas of what we could call this concept. Um, and we started working on, on our project with them um, in April. So it's been a long time coming. Um, so when we came up with the idea, we were brainstorming different names and lots of things came, came up. We looked at ideas of um, like a case manager or just some other, other words. Um, but what we liked about Navigator was that um, it was more of a guide and a support rather than somebody um, taking on a, a significant role of being a, a teacher or doing something for somebody. Um, it's the idea of, of supporting individuals to be able to do things themselves. Excellent. Paolo, how do you, um, wh where did you come in in terms of this? What is your role with the Digital Navigators? Yeah, sure. Um, so NDIA brought me on um, in late July. Uh, previously, I was working for the New York Public Library in their um, technology training program department. And before that, I was working for the Cleveland Public Library in, in their version of, of the technology training programs. So I was a library educator, informal educator working primarily with adults. I had known of NDIA and known Angela and Bill and, and Shauna for several years, I think back to 2017. So I was already familiar with this work and knew that this was like an organization that aligned with the stuff that I like to do. So when I came on, I just got thrown into this digital <laughs> navigators project right away, right? Um, my background and experience with two separate big public library systems with curriculum, uh, curriculum development, uh, you know, delivery of classes to a uh, delivery of content to to students of all different backgrounds and interests and, and whatnot. I think that that is where I came into not only NDIA, but specifically this project. So with Digital Navigators, um, you know, it's one of the programs that I manage and what NDIA does and what I do functionally is support folks like Shauna on the ground who are doing this work with their communities, right? Shauna and her colleague, Justin, of course, are gonna have much closer relationships with, with folks in their communities, but NDIA thinks about, okay, how can, we, um, how can we utilize or how can we make effective our national network of, of, of broad affiliates? So one of the things that we do is convene a working group uh, every few weeks, um, that of which Shauna and Justin are a part, we have topics in which we're addressing on the ground um, issues or problems that are coming up in our uh, planning and development of various digital navigator projects. So for instance, when we were trying to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we normalize or standardize that, that organic conversation between a digital navigator and their community member when they're trying to figure out what the community's member need is? That was a pitch that we just that we were throwing to the to to the working group. We were saying like, okay, how do you guys do this? And then does this look like a script? Does this look like a form? What how does it make the most sense to teach someone what this work looks like and and what a good um, workflow is? Shauna, it seems like this is something that that you're still every every week perhaps there's there's new exciting developments as people come up with new ideas of of how to manage this sort of a thing. Is is it still kind of maturing that quickly? Um, absolutely. Yeah, between um, our, our digital navigators that are working with individuals, the feedback they provide, the national work group that Paulo runs that he talked about through the NDIA um, has been so amazing to help us um, 
get feedback and bed ideas um, and, and really work out some of the logistical things that come up. Yeah, we're, we're, we're changing often. Our, our goal is to have a replicatable model um, at the end of September of next year. And I'm curious if you can tell us like, what's the, I'll ask you this next Paulo. So, so you can think about it, but, um, but Shana, I'm curious, what's like one moment where something just was, you, you just had an aha moment or just a moment of real levity when you were working with folks, uh, um, on this issue. I think one of the, um, big aha moments for, for me was, um, some of the community, um, based organizations that we're working with, um, have really, close relationships with the community members coming into those organizations um, and really um, new to this idea of a digital navigator and providing this type of support. Um, but they had staff members hired on to be digital navigators. Um, and those individuals were just fearless. Um, you know, we gave them about a week worth of training and they just jumped right in and were immediately able to start um, supporting folks that they were working with um, in this capacity. So I, I think a lot of the focus that we, we place on this type of work is on technology skills, but I think a lot of it is on um, actual customer service, like how we interact with individuals and how we listen and how we talk with them. Um, and then having um, an amazing resource base, which libraries are, are great for. Yeah, it seems like you can, um, you can teach someone more easily about broadband and digital inclusion and the literacy skills uh, much more easily than you can teach someone how to be compassionate and, and, and thoughtful and, and be able to, um, in many cases, um, just understand someone that may have literacy, uh, may have um, language challenges, um, you know, just someone who may be a recent immigrant who's still learning English. Um, there can be, a, I'm sure, a lot, of, a lot of hurdles that require good people skills. Absolutely. And Paolo, let me ask you then, um, what's a, an aha moment or a, you know, a moment of levity, if you can make us laugh? I think I, it, it's going to come back to the, the national working group that, uh, you know, convenes every few weeks. Um, and this is just one of the, one of the things that I, I just enjoy about this work in general. Shauna and her colleague, Justin, and my colleague, Christy, were getting together and we were trying to figure out like, okay, what does this program look like? functionally like we've talked about conceptually what a digital navigator is but how do we pin down the points here and and make sure that we have a work plan for for each of the digital navigators when they start uh, providing service so taking questions to the working group uh for instance like how do how how are we standardizing the reference interview how do we uh assess uh community members skills without making feel ashamed or embarrassed of, of their lack of skills for instance and just having that conversation with 15 to 20 other people who are all just completely aligned and and who all have that that you know that base empathy that i think you need to be able to do this kind of work i, I don't know that the working groups bring me so much joy whenever we get together because i'm just like these are my people like i, I don't <laughs> have to do any of like the pre-description of of what this sort of work is we can just jump right into it and, and everyone's on the same page having everyone clicking together for my part just you know posing a prompt and then just like listening to the conversation uh that comes forth is super super fascinating for me so I, I, I want to say that I've always thought this work was was important. 
but I don't think I appreciated just how much. Like I, I think that I, I assumed that the the number of people that that needed this kind of help was probably smaller than it was. I, I think if if I honestly look back to two years ago, I probably would say that for the most part, there's going to be some people who need digital inclusion classes and and to to do this sort of a thing to to be comfortable with it. But fundamentally, if we just get prices into people's hands and we get the and get them, we get them ongoing service cost low enough, that won't. We'll, We'll, we'll mostly be where we need to go. And and I think there's probably people out there who still believe that. And so let me ask you, Shauna, why why isn't that correct? Or, or what is the evidence that it's not correct even? I often think of um, kind of the contrast between um, a, a teenager and when they get a, a brand new device. You know, computers used to come with um, well, everything used to come with instruction booklets with multiple pages that we had to go through to learn how to use it. That's not our world anymore. You know, a teenager can pick up a brand new device they've never used before and just start playing with it um, and learning it um, and interacting with it um, and, and using it to, to meet their needs. Uh, we work a lot with senior citizens and senior centers and, and multiple, multiple, multiple times um, we'll have somebody bring in a tablet and they'll say, oh, I got this for my birthday last year from my son. Um, I don't know what to do with it. What do I do? There's there's no instructions. There's nothing that comes with it. So I think between all sorts of different age demographics, there's several different levels of, of that kind of in, inherent knowledge that some people have and curiosity to, to interact with with technologies and and some of us still myself included remember when you could wipe a hard drive easily on a computer and then you'd be in big trouble so there's this fear that we have to overcome and we don't feel like you can safely explore and interact with it so i think that digital literacy component of of teaching folks and encouraging folks to um, interact and play with their technologies to learn um, is just key and that's, that's such a good example i just <laughs> can remember all the times that I, I screwed up. If you can, if you can imagine for a second, um, (laughs) the worst, I'm glad I did. I have, I'm very fortunate to have had the parents that I had. Um, when I was in junior high, I want to say I, uh, my dad was in the midst of of fixing up a computer and this would have been in like, like 92 maybe. Um, and so computers were kind of rare and my family was fortunate that my dad had gone back to college and, and actually got into computers. Um, and so um, I was doing a report and I had my spiral ring notebook up close to it and I nudged it and it made contact with the motherboard and it shorted the whole thing out. And it's a brand new expensive piece that my dad had been waiting for and just, and just, you know, we just lost tons of stuff. And anyway, it's one of those things that like, and that's not something most people are going to do. It's never going to happen today, right? Your tablet is not going to be exposed like that. But I just, there's so many things that I can just think of like over the past 30 years of my life of using these device that's gone wrong. And, and I've been fortunate that it doesn't scare me off, but I can see how for other people, it would be very scary when something, something goes wrong like that. Yeah, I think so. So overcoming that fear barrier is kind of the first step. And then we can go into how to Know, set up a, a web account or um, navigate social services and things like that. Right. And, and I'm, one I think of also is that people totally undervalue um, how often these, this population is the target of scammers. Um, you know, scammers are not trying to convince me to um, thinking that they're going to fool me um, because I'm the most brilliant person ever. Um, no, just because I like they're looking for people who are more on the edge of of, uh, of society, people who who aren't often of higher income, um, and so um, people like us 
just don't even experience that and know what it's like. And I think that's probably a major issue too. Uh, Paolo, I'm just, I'm curious. Um, one of the things that I really want to make sure we talk about was that we cannot solve this problem by creating like a joint strike force of these, like the best 10 people in the country who go around doing presentation after presentation, right? We actually need this work to be done by people that are trusted in the community. And tell me, tell me why that is. We can't have someone parachute in. We can't have like me parachute into like to, to a small community and say like, this is how you do your work. Um, this, this work has to happen from people who are in the community because they know their community members best, right? Like they're of the community. They, they, they live there. They, they can, they can have part of that initial conversation, which, and this, this, this work sort of comes from social work and case management. Like there, there must be like a rapport built in order for, you know, to get that baseline trust uh, instilled in a community member with someone that they're going to be working with and and talking with um, hopefully multiple times. Right, so that digital navigator has to be from within the community. I think that like the Salt Lake City uh, Public Library digital navigator project is a perfect example because they have three digital navigators who are who were working as Salt Lake City Public Library employees who are now working as digital navigators. They're getting other folks from community-based organizations who are hiring right from within their communities. When you're a community member and you can just you know feel a little bit at ease maybe you recognize the person that you're talking with or the person that you're talking with has a similar sort of background or they at least know the same city that breaks down like such a large large barrier because ultimately again the community member your library patron they want to trust you <laughs> and that trust comes from a library that trust comes from uh, from a community based organization that they're already familiar with so it's super, super important that a digital navigator um, sort of has like that baseline understanding of of their community and, and where they're coming from. I would assume also it's important that they're there because I know that I learned something in a class and I, I think I got it. And then I, I go home and I, I realize I missed a piece of it and I need to go back and talk to someone that's going to help me walk through. So it's, it's not like a one time, hey, you're educated, boom, never see you again. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that we that we really, really try to emphasize when uh, talking about digital navigators is that this is a relationship, right? Like one of the phrases that we use is that there are repeated interactions between a community member and the digital navigator. What we mean by that is that we want the we want the community member to feel comfortable just you know calling in for the first time and, and maybe saying like, hey, I heard you guys are doing this digital navigator program. What's that all about? Uh, maybe I need help uh, getting a Chromebook or something. We want them to feel comfortable calling back and saying like, hey, I talked to you last week. Uh, I have another question. Could you tell me about this? Right. And eventually, through over the course of several, several interactions, we want that community member, and this may be a little bit crass, we want that community member to not call back again. We want them to feel <laughs> confident. Like if a, if a question pops up in their head, we want them to feel confident in knowing, okay, this is what the digital navigator walked me through. They were. They did a good job narrating why they were doing it, and now I think I'm going to try it. Try it on my own this time. Like that's that's the goal, right? Like we love having that human contact, but ultimately that that's one of the that's one of the goals here. We want them to to be able to do this on their own. Yeah, it reminds me of um, 
<laughs> learning how to use Linux uh, again way back a long time ago for me <laughs> and um, just you know try to do something and then restart the computer because I broke it <laughs> over and over right. exactly <laughs> um, you know Shauna one of the things that I, I, I think about is um, just seven probably seven eight years ago there was a sense of like what is the role of the library in the future you know we're going to ebooks and um and uh, at this point, I mean, I'll say I, I love the library system. I probably read most of the books I read, checking them out um, from a library. I almost never go into using one of the the ebook services, but but this seems like I mean this this it's actually crazy to me that you would have libraries that aren't doing this. Uh, just uh, just tell us a little bit about how this lines up with with the the mission of the library. Libraries have been playing a significant role in addressing digital divides for for decades. Where we are right now is is kind of coming to um, claim space and some ownership in that role. Um, some cities have organizations that provide public computer labs in Salt Lake City. Um, the Salt Lake City Public Library has our main library and seven branches. Um, there's only one other public computer lab in Salt Lake City. Um, so that, that's an essential service for community members to be able to come in um, and use those computers as well as get some one-on-one -on -one help. Um, and we've been also offering computer classes in our creative lab spaces. So we offer classes for people who have never used a mouse or keyboard before. Um, to advance things like um, using the Adobe suite and sound editing. Um, and so I think that role um, is shifting and changing and, and libraries and library leadership is starting to take part in important conversations with municipalities um, on how we can work together as a, as a community to um, address digital equity. Yeah, in, in my own St. Paul, the, the library system is probably the the part of local government that is the most concerned with and active on trying to resolve um, getting home access for people, let alone, um, you know, other issues of trying to make sure people have opportunities for education and, and literacy. And libraries have stepped up a lot with, with some home access. We have um, a lot of libraries have hotspot lending programs. You can check out um, Chromebooks or laptops um, to use at home. The Salt Lake City Public Library I was fortunate to receive um, funding from the Institute Museum and Library Services to um, work on this digital navigator project, which really allows us to explore how we can do that work um, remotely um, when folks can't come in to us and use our resources. Great. I, I think the last question then, I'll, I'll start with you, Paolo, but Sean, I'll, I'll want to give you a chance to this too. And that's, this seems like uh, an issue that um, you'll work yourself out of. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, um, the people who uh, don't have the skills will be, will never run out of people who need some help. But uh, I would expect that we'll see a dramatic reduction in the number of people that need this kind of help if you do your job well. And so, um, you know, do you, do you see that in the future, Paolo? I, I think that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, like I said before, like the goal is like, is that they don't need help anymore. So like that, so like to your point, like fewer people need help. But one of the things that's that's um, fascinating or interesting about what the pandemic has done in the digital equity, digital inclusion world is that we're seeing a lot of new faces, a lot of new types of organizations who are now interested in this work. 
and it makes sense, right? Like they can't fulfill the missions of their organization unless they unless they address this sort of like digital equity, digital inclusion element. I don't think that will ever run out of, of folks who need this this sort of support. For instance, um, we're beginning to see new residents, migrants, refugees, and, and organizations that serve that particular community entering conversations about digital equity and digital inclusion. Like that's certainly a population uh, that for worse has, has sort of been forgotten about in the digital inclusion conversation. But now we're bringing them into the fold and figuring out like, okay, here's a new round of best practices for serving this particular type of population. And then also how, and then how do we continue service? Because like the, the English language divide is is massive here. Um, and, and that's a huge barrier that we're, that I'm actively grappling with in my work right now. Like how do we how do we address that? So, you know, I, I don't think what like so to go back to the very beginning, like digital equity is the goal. We want everyone to get to a place of having like the skills and the understanding to fully participate in in, in society. But that seems so far away, <laughs> unfortunately. And I, and I think that like programs like Digital Navigators and, you know, getting more folks who are acquainted with this sort of work and, and the sort of and the language that we use to describe our work um, will only reveal new populations who need help. Right. So I, th I think it, I think it's an ongoing uh, and continuing process. Yeah, that's that strikes me as a very realistic take on it. Uh, Shauna, I'm, I'm curious if you want to um, build on that at all, if that's how you see it. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Paulo said is that we're always kind of identifying new pockets of folks that need support. Um, and then the other thing is technology is changing just as rapidly, um, well, more rapidly than we, we can keep up with it. So um, I think that there's always going to be um, a need for some digital literacy um, support and education as technology continues to evolve. Thank you so much, uh, Shauna and and Paolo. Uh, this is this has been a great conversation, and I think I, I really appreciate the work that you all are doing to move this forward. Because I I will just say that from the empirical evidence that I've seen, where ten dollar a month connections are available, there's definitely more that needs to be done. Not just to make sure people use the devices, but to make sure then that we get the benefits of telehealth and remote education, and and just making sure that people unlock all of the potential of the internet. And then beyond that, also making sure people have some time to play. So I'd like to end it there and, and thank you both uh, for, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. That was Christopher talking with Paolo Balboa and Shauna Edson. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 442 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.